unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my fellowship. I know it's always good to get to visit uh, before class, uh, but the clock says five, so we're going to go ahead and get started. A few things by way of announcements. Uh, A couple of these were mentioned this morning, uh, but Amy Albert passed away this morning as complications from COVID. Uh, She had two children that she left behind, Josh and Belle. They were both baptized here. Uh, They lived up in Tennessee. Uh, the young man from Wheeler, whose name escapes me right this second, uh, that's up in Labonner, keep him in your prayers. Uh, and then, so that was a couple of prayer requests. And then, by way of what, so that you know what's going on with this class, uh, I will be teaching, obviously, tonight. Uh, I think Brother Billy Martin will be speaking next Sunday. And then we will conclude this study on the 31st. Uh, and I will teach that class. If everything goes the way we expect it to, Lord willing, that's the way this class will go. Once this class is over with, um, 
starting in November. Uh, Brother Jim Estes will be teaching Joshua in this class. Uh, we know that Brandon Elliott will be teaching the class in the annex that kind of shadows this one. But neither one of us looked at the paperwork this morning, this afternoon, to see what he's covering. Uh, but Jim knows he's teaching Estes. Excuse me, Joshua. Jim Estes knows he's teaching Joshua. He can teach Estes too, for that matter. It's okay. Uh, but anyways, uh, keep, uh, keep those things in, in your mind as we're about to study uh, tonight. So what I want to do is start off, as I, as I usually do, with a quick review. Uh, and then I'll give a quick disclaimer about this class tonight. So as you know, we started in Genesis. And we talked about how we were created in the image of God. And we were given a couple of responsibilities. And then we failed uh, in imaging God, reflecting God on earth. We failed uh, because we as mankind sinned. And so God had to send something else to image for us. And that something else was Christ. And then we walked through in that first class a litany of verses that talk about how God is the image of God, the exact imprint of God. And so since that time, we've gone through this class, and what we've tried to do is challenge you to see how you measure up. Of course, Jesus sets the standard way up here, right? And then we look at what he did every human being will find themselves wanting, right? Every human being will. That's normal. Uh, but if we try a little bit, we make a little progress every week, every day, we get a little bit closer, right? And that's our goal. That's why we call ourselves Christians. That's why we follow Christ. After that, as you recall, we went over the cross. And I made the statement during that class, and in one of those classes, that I don't know of a... 18 to 24 hour period where obedience was tested more on any human being in the history of earth. Because having the power to stop something and choosing not to do it because you love someone that you're doing it for is really got to be nearly impossible. And when we talked about the pain and the agony of him going through the cross, and we walked through those examples about at any moment he could have called 10,000 angels and he could have stopped every bit of it. But he didn't. And then we walked through the fact, we also reviewed the fact that he didn't want to go there. You know, he started right there, right at the Garden of Gethsemane. Let it pass from me. That was the human side of him coming out because he was in a fleshly body and he did not want to go through it. And then we even reviewed how he was on the path to the cross and stopped mid-pathway, mid if you will, and turned around and taught a lesson to a group of women that were following him. And then we reviewed how, while hanging on the cross, he was still mindful of certain things that he was responsible for, such as his mom, who was at the foot of the cross. And he checked off all those things off the list. And we talked about how the world changed forever when that event happened. When we say it changed, I mean, we changed our calendars. It was such a big event. And we walked through those examples of how then after that, and I, we call it kind of on the pathway to the cross, we reviewed the teachings or the raising of, of Lazarus from the dead. Right? And we walked through the things that Jesus did to make sure that everyone understood that Lazarus was dead and he had the power over death. And he wanted God to be glorified. He told us that. He said, he's not going to stay dead. Now, I'm paraphrasing here. He's not going to stay asleep. Because you need to see this. So he let a good friend die. And he watched good friends mourn so that we could have a lesson from that. And if you recall a footnote in that particular lesson, one footnote that I called out in Luke was where it says, past tense, Mary was the woman that anointed Christ. And we, we made the possibility that may be the Mary that appointed Christ at the Pharisee's house. Now, I can't say that definitively, but I will say something that was kind of cool from that in just a second. So remember that, because I don't believe coincidences happen. I really don't. After that, we went over 
Zacchaeus and the lessons of Christ, where Christ said, And I, if I be lifted up, meaning the cross, will draw all men to me. And then we challenge what that really looks like. And if you recall, I told a personal story about how I let someone walk right out the back. And all I said was, good to have you today. That's as far as I went. I didn't think to know her. I didn't need to talk to her. There were things that I found myself that I was upset at myself about. And then, because this class was done one quarter ago, I stepped aside because Billy Martin had taught a class and he wanted to reteach that class. And I was happy to let Billy teach that class. And I knew the lesson was called Mills with the Master. That's what he called it. But I was out of town when Billy taught that lesson. And we don't record the audio down there. I had absolutely no idea until I was sitting right back there that the one meal, and by the way, Jesus had more than one meal on earth. The one meal he covered was where the woman walks in and anoints the man's feet. I had no idea that's what he was going to cover. And I taught two weeks before that. It could have been her. I don't know. God works in mysterious ways. I just found that unique, so I thought I would share. We went over how during that, Jesus was more concerned about the person in front of him than he was all the pomp and circumstance. We know that the Pharisee was there to be seen, probably laying a trap for Jesus. But instead... He saw the sinner. And instead of following social norms where you're just, you're just so glad you were invited, so thankful they thought of me, he looked square at that Pharisee and he said, this is what you didn't do. You didn't wash my feet and she's washed it with her tears. You didn't anoint my head and she's anointing me with a full flask. And he walked through those things. And we don't know exactly what happened other than at the end of that exchange, Jesus said, go, your sins are forgiven you. And then the argument was not, wow, look what she just did for him. Oh no, it was over whether or not Jesus had the power to forgive sins. They just totally missed the point, didn't they? Of who they had sitting in that house with them at that meal that night. They totally missed it. And that brings us, after we go through all of that, wait, I missed one. I think I know what God taught while we were out of town. I think I do. Because we talked about it. There's an outline. But when the missionaries came, we had to adjust, adapt our outline kind of on the fly. I think, and I may be wrong, but I think God covered the lesson we called When Troubled Take a Minute. And what that, basically what that was was a review of the lesson where Things are going to get tough at times. And sometimes you need to take a breath. Right? I'm getting some nods, so I think that's what he taught. So good, we're all on the same page. It's great. You know, when you work with a group of guys as good as Billy and God, ten things tend to work well. And that's what happened here. And so we went over that, and as, as we said in this class, we first looked at, did Jesus walk the walk? Did he live the example he should have lived? And that's why we started at the cross and then worked our way back. And we looked at his life, what he did. Then we got into his teachings, and that's where we will continue tonight, and it's where we will finish up this class. So tonight, that's your review. And I always tell you, the reason we go through that big review is I want to get this embedded in your brain, because our jobs as teachers is not to sit up here and talk and fill up 45 minutes. Our jobs as teachers is to let you learn the Word. And if you remember it, and you uh, more importantly apply it, then we have done our jobs as teachers. If you don't remember it and you don't apply it, let me back up. If you remember, don't remember it, I have failed as a teacher. If you don't apply it, then you failed as a student. I think that's how that works. But anyways, but I got to teach both sides of that, right? I got to teach what you need to know, how to apply it. And that's where these teachings come into play. So turn tonight to Matthew chapter 5. Now that's a big chapter. Lots of things happen in Matthew chapter 5. Lots of things. Can I make a request real quick of the gentleman in the back? Can y'all close those back doors? The reason is, is the sun is, now that it's fall, is shining through those windows, and I can't see your beautiful faces. And I want to be able to see you during this because this class may get weird 
And is that Jeremy working the camera? I think it is. Hey, Jeremy. My apologies in the, in the beginning for this. Um, this class, thank you all so much. This class was originally designed for a smaller class environment. This is not a small room, and it's not a small class. We're going to try to do it the same way. If that means I have to run down the aisles to you, that's what I'll do. So, Jeremy, you're ready with the joystick, my friend. We'll get this done real quick. All right, Matthew chapter 5 is a big, big chapter. And you know it as the Sermon on the Mount. Good job, class. Everyone knows that. There are any number of lessons we could teach from Matthew chapter 5. What I tried to do was select a series of lessons that I thought are most poignant to today's society. And again, I could have, I could have gone almost anywhere in Matthew chapter 5. But we are going to start at verse 33. And we're going to do something with tonight's lesson that is going to scare you to death. You're going to talk. Now, y'all know I love to ask probing questions and get responses from the audience, but I need more than that tonight. We'll talk about that as we go through that. It's going to be uber uncomfortable. We're going to work our way through it. And I'm not going to put anybody on the microphone or anything like that. But if you don't talk, this is going to be a very short, slightly awkward class. But if you talk, it potentially has the potential, potentially has the potential, Let's just remove one of those potentials. It has the potential to be one of the best classes you may have ever sat through. But it's incumbent on you. All right? So here we go. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old. So as you recall during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would go through and say, you know, you were taught this, but I'm going to raise the bar. I'm going to challenge you this. And he reminds them again, you were taught this, those of old. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Now we're going to stop right there and go a little further in just a second. Did anybody know or anybody pick up which lesson I left out in my review? That was mean, wasn't it? Went to that big 10-minute review and I left one out intentionally to see who was paying attention. Main teacher. Anybody remember which one I left out? Truly did a terrible job. It's okay. Anybody remember the lesson on peace and sleeping in a storm? Anybody remember that one? Were you here for that one? If you weren't, it's okay. But I talked about how that if you get the peace of God, you can actually sleep through a storm. Now, how do we know that? Because Jesus Christ did it. The storm was brutal, and he slept straight through it. And then I jumped over to Philippians, and I went through a series of verses. And we talked about, don't be anxious. In that particular group of scriptures, if I'm not badly mistaken, the reason I left it out, this verse is very similar. This verse says, you can't make a hair of your head black or white. I'm not going to look at anyone when I say this, but there are people here that no longer have black hair. There are people here that have white hair. There are people here that have gray hair. They can't change that. But if I'm not about this, like in Philippians, what does it say about hair in that, in that passage? I'm thinking of the right words. may not be. Philippians 4 is what I'm talking about. But you can't make a hair grow is what I'm talking about. That's why I didn't review that, because I wanted to pull that back for you real quick. Well, I just got some of us else in the audience, right? You may not believe this, but I have hair that grows on the top of my head 
You're welcome to touch my head if you don't believe me. I'm a very weird, bald person. This hair just, it just doesn't grow. But I promise you, it's there. It's thinner, but it's there. I have an uncle who will remain nameless, and if you touch his head, it's just skin. Now, neither one of us can make a hair on our head grow out. That's just the way we're made. Jesus uses another hair analogy, and he says, you can't make a hair on your head black or white. So don't swear by your head. Now, why am I talking about all this hair stuff? If you can't control what your own body does, why are you trying to control the world? There are people that get all worked up and all upset because they feel like they have been wronged or mistreated or any number of things. Or if this happens or if that happens. You can't even grow a hair on your head or change its color without the bottle. Let's just be candid, okay? Again, I'm not looking at anybody. Just saying. You can't do that. Only one person can do that. And right before all these verses, he says, don't you swear by heaven, because that's the city of God. Don't you swear by earth, because that's his footstool. Don't you swear by Jerusalem, because that's the city of God. That's the only person that can grow hair on your head. And he knows how many are there. Mine have a few less than you. But I can't do anything about it. And you are not responsible for how your hair looks. Well, I guess you are to some extent. You're not responsible for how many are up there. Let's see how he finishes this. Where's he going? Verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. That's where the verse ends, right? Nothing else is after that. Then what version you have, there may be a sentence that says, anything more than this comes from evil. Anybody have a translation that says that? I've got some hands going up now. Yeah. What does that mean? And this is where class is going to get uncomfortable. Because this is where you have to talk. He says, let your yes be yes, your no be no. After he's just talked about all the things you don't need to promise by because you have no control over any of them. He says, don't take an oath by all these things. Then he says, your yes needs to be yes, your no needs to be no. Anything else comes from the devil. Excuse me, from evil. What's that talking about? I think about politicians and spin. Politicians and spin. That's a really good one. That's a really good one. Yeah. What else is that talking about? Give me, give me a, a more personal example. What did you say? Judges and lawyers. That's fair. That's fair. Anything else? Uh, we try to justify maybe a, a no into the yes by a lot of extra words sometimes. That's not a good note. Yeah. All right. So what Mr. Johnny just said was trying to justify a yes or a no or trying to change a yes or a no. Wesley. Adam, some of you may know him, he's from the Prentice County area, he lives over in Marietta. Wesley's one of my supervisors. There are unfortunate moments sometimes where we have to have uncomfortable conversations with employees. I'll just say that. Wesley and I are two totally different people. I believe that I'm going to tell you you have upset us to the point I'm going to write you up. But when you walk out that door, you are going to like me for telling you that. It's a stupid supposition. Wesley believes, I'm going to crush your soul and let you walk right out the door. And I think that's stupid. Our yes is not our yes and our no is not our no on either one of those occasions. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, sometimes bad things just have to be said. Sometimes you just get a no. And you don't like the no. Sometimes you get a yes, and it's just a yes. But that second part, 
That's what I want to challenge you on. Anything else is from evil. Have you ever caught yourself telling somebody, oh yeah, I will do, got caught in a songbook, I will do X, Y, and Z. And they give you that look and they're like, trying to figure out if they actually trust you. And what do you do? How do you reassure them? That's a really good word. I like that. You just, you just smile at them and you start taking them all sorts of promises and all this stuff. You sell insurance. You ever felt like you had to just convince people more and more and more? This isn't a hot seat, by the way. I'm just saying. You're a salesman. I'm sorry. I'm picking on my friend, Mr. Joe, over here. But you ever feel like when you got it, you're at that point where you're trying to close a sale and you just keep going because you just want him to sign the paperwork? He's not going to answer it. That's a smart man. Okay? Now, all of a sudden, we're getting into application. What my good cousin over here just said was, if you have lived your life in a way that you are trustworthy... You don't have to keep reassuring them. That's the lesson I want the class to get tonight. The only way you can let your yes be yes and your no be no is to live in a way that it's actually a yes is a yes and a no is a no. If you have not ever lived your way life in a trustworthy manner, why would anyone listen to you? Do you ever have the feeling when someone starts talking to you, that they're just not trustworthy? Why are y'all laughing? I thought I was the only person that dealt with those kind of people. Do you feel like in America, it's getting worse? Yeah. Note, if you're talking to Miss Pat, don't move your eyes around. You know, very direct, very direct. Okay, y'all loosening up. This is good. This is how this class has to go. Do what now? Oh, they call you on the telephone. They're going to make you all sorts of promises. They're going to do all these wonderful things. Yes, uh, this happened to us today at lunch, actually. We don't know who's lying to us. Our server told my wife, we're out of Diet Coke. You don't tell Kim Farr you're out of Diet Coke. You just don't do that. So Kim, on the way out the door, mentions to the manager, you need to make sure you have Diet Coke next time we come in here. The manager goes, oh, well, you want the actual truth? She didn't know how to switch out the machine. So now we're like, is the manager lying to us or is the employee lying to us? Because somebody's no longer telling the truth. Where I'm going with this, think back to that last sentence. Anything else comes from evil. Now, if we're talking about honesty, and we're talking about your yes be yes and your no be no, that requires two things on your part. One, when you tell something or commit to doing something, what do you have to do as a Christian? Do it. Do it. What if someone doesn't believe you or you try to get someone to believe you that you're going to do something and they don't? What is the next step for you to do? Quit talking. Why? Bingo. You shouldn't have to justify yourself. There's so many lessons from this one sentence. One, live your life in a way where your word has value. You shouldn't need a contract to lay out how things are going to work because when you say this is what's going to happen, it should happen. It's not the world we live in anymore. But that's not how you're supposed to live. Secondary to that, sometimes you need to learn to quit talking. Now, I don't know if y'all noticed this, but over there I asked a question and no one wanted to answer the question. And I just quit talking. And what happened? Someone else started talking. I don't know why we as human beings hate silence so bad. 
But we do. There's times you just need to quit talking. Once you have said yes, your yes is final, your no is final, move on. Isaac, my youngest, I don't remember what he was upset about the other day, but that man needs to be a salesman because he does not take no for an answer. And he sat in and he went on and he went on and he went on and he went on. And I mean, we are at 45 minutes later. He is still trying to justify what he wants. I haven't said a word in 10 minutes. He goes, oh, you're not talking to me now? I said, nope, not about that subject. What else do you want to talk about? And he finally learned that was it. But what had I done wrong throughout that first 45 minutes? I wordsmithed it. I kept trying to explain why I was wrong, why it wasn't going to happen. Now, I do believe you need to explain sometimes. But once you've done it, stop. And he moved on. He still brought it up the next day, but he moved on. All right. So that's a lesson first off. A secondary to this is, if this is what you're challenged to do, you cannot expect the world to treat you the same way. And that hurts, by the way. When you feel like someone is deliberately taking advantage of you, that hurts. That's not on you, by the way. They're going to have to give an account for that on their own time. But don't hold the world to this standard, because they're never going to measure up. They're never going to measure up. Okay? Moving on. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. That was a really big paragraph. I don't know if you picked up just how big that paragraph actually was. But I want you to notice a few things. We started this class at the cross in week two, week three, and week four. Now let's look at these words again. We already know he walked the walk. What does he say here? And did he do it? Did he actually practice what he preached, as you might say? Well, did he turn his cheek? Yeah, we went over that. That happened multiple times. He got punched in the face multiple times. Got hit in the face multiple times with the reed. Then they flogged him. Did he ever resist them? No. Okay, check that off the list. That's a standard we're supposed to live by. And that is not easy, which is why I brought it up in the previous paragraph. The world will not live by the same standard we live by. Number 40. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, Somebody take his tunic? Yes. What do they do with it? Cast lots for it. What was in the back? Oh, it was a one thing. It was sewn in one piece. Sewn in one piece. Learned something Sunday about that tunic I had never heard before. Um, Y'all may know Kyle Butt. Uh, Kyle Butt works for Apologetics Press. He was actually at the church as a guest speaker when I was there, and he reviewed this tunic, and I had never heard lesson before it's kind of a big deal when you look at it from the sex section of the cross and specifically from the vantage point of the cross yeah it was prophesied got that check that off the list we know that but let's go to the human side of this tunic and start out what i didn't know do you know who made the tunic for jesus christ Yeah, nobody's answering that question. We never talk about the tunic other than it was prophesied, so it got casted by lots. His mom made it. 
It was a Jewish, it was a Jewish tradition that as a boy left home, his mom gradually made a new outer garment, that tunic. And every year that went by, it got a little bit nicer to the point where it would last him a lifetime. Now, did he give up his tunic? Yeah. Yeah, he gave it up. Who made it? Mary. Who watched the soldiers gamble over it? Mary and Jesus. Y'all remember that prophecy where Mary was told there's going to be a dagger that goes through your heart? I guess the point I'm trying to get to, the way our legal system has moved into, it's always get everything you can get, tear everything away, never take any risk, never take on any liability. And I guess from a corporate standpoint, that's a very good policy. And we have to be smart as human beings nowadays in the world that we live in. But in this particular scenario, when he says, if someone sues you for your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. He did it, by the way. Because he had no clothes when he was hanging on the cross. We know that. So when I say this is a standard that we're supposed to live by, the person that we call ourselves after Jesus Christ, he did it. He turned the other cheek. They sued him for his tunic. He gave it away. And he gave away his outer garments. Things that were precious to him, things that were, according to Jewish tradition, were made for him by his mom. But he gave them up. Verse 41 if anyone forces you, forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Did he ever do it? Go back to those first three weeks. Yeah, he did. We don't know how long he walked to get to the hill of the skull. But was it a forced walk? Second part, did he go further than he had to? To the point of obedience, he went all the way to death. So when this teaching is compared to the cross, Jesus Christ practiced what he preached. Now I mentioned in the first paragraph that we looked over, you can't hold people to the same standard of the yes and the no. And then I moved to this, and this is all how we're supposed to interact with people. And we've gotten to a point in our society where people are more than willing to treat you like trash. I'm just being honest with you. What is our standard? That's it. That's excellent. So this is where this is going to get weird. What I want to know is how do you handle it and how do you do it? Because I guarantee you we have some people in this room that have gone through some pretty awful things. How'd you get through it? Put it in God's hands, let Him take care of it. How'd you do that? By faith. By faith. I like it. What else? What? Praying? Absolutely. Reading the Bible. I think it's excellent stuff. By the way, if you don't mind sharing, when you read the Bible, do you just open and go, or do you go to a specific set? Inspiring scriptures that help you. Absolutely. So what I just heard was she knows the word well enough to know where to go when she needs help with this particular issue. That's fantastic, by the way. What else? Somebody trades you like trash, and you for sure don't make the turn around and trade it. 
So what Sister Marilyn said over there, I want to make sure I paraphrase this right, is you can't return the behavior with the behavior you want to return it with. Getting even doesn't help anybody. Doing these types of things, treating them like trash, isn't going to accomplish what the Bible says. And she says you have to let it go. So that's the essence of where I'm going with this is how do we let it go? Because I think there are people that walk around with pain and hurt for years. And I don't know if it's pride. I don't know if it's the inability to let it go. Or we've never unlocked the secret on how to let it go. But that's why I want to share it as a class. Now my son tells me all the time, I am old and well past my prime. No offense, I'm not as old as some of you. So I would love some wisdom on this particular subject. Because I don't think it's one we talk about enough. It is easy to stand up there and preach to you, this is what you should do. So I've heard pray now on multiple different occasions. I have heard search of scriptures. I've heard that. So I want to say that again, and correct me if I'm wrong here. What I heard was forgiving that individual of how they have wronged you will remove the pain from you. Does not change the situation, doesn't change the past, but it lets you move on. Yes. I was going to see if somebody would say that. Do good to them. That's probably one of the hardest things ever, right? That, that one right there, do good to them. They treated you awful, do good to them. Now, I want to make sure I draw a line here. I think if you're in an abusive situation, continuing to do good to someone that is deliberately abusing you is not protecting the temple of God. I'm going to be very blunt on that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is routine day-to-day -day life. Routine day-to-day -day life hurts and insults and pains. Those are the ones you let go. Yeah. I think that's what he's talking about in the second line here. You know, a Roman soldier could compel anyone, especially, you know, the Israelites who came back into the mountain. They hated the Romans who had marked them down. According to the history of they would carry them out and then they'd throw it down. I've done all I have to do in your birth. And so when we have a grudge against somebody, if we practice doing good things for them, it will, it will help us and force help them also. Yes. I heard the uh, fellow I heard through this lesson, he said the uh, second line is a one stretch of highway where there's never been a traffic jam. That's right. So that's, that's probably the truth. I like that. I'll share some things that I think have helped me in my lifetime. I think number one has already been called out. Praying about it, hands down. To actually telling God, I'm giving this to you because I can't fix this. Like those specific words. So when I heard that, that's why I was curious instantly. I was wondering if we were doing the same thing, if we just found that same pathway. Yes, I absolutely find scriptures. Whenever I'm in that situation, find those scriptures. It is one thing, as evil as Google is, that is one thing that Google is phenomenal at, by the way. It's amazing the scriptures you can find when you go on that subject. Uh, another thing I find that really, really helps is just getting away from everything and getting still. Now, why do I do that? I ease the mind, but the Bible says specifically in Psalms, be still and what? And know that I am God. Now, I taught a lesson last week, kind of impromptu, that I'm not ready to go to in this type of setting, but we talked about this a good bit. How to get yourself still and get focused on that one simple thing. Medic. Absolutely. Let me ask you a quick question. I guarantee I know the answer. Do angry and evil thoughts come from God or Satan? 
Okay. Do good and pure thoughts come from God or Satan? So the best way to get the good and pure in is to get Satan out. Going back to that meditation, meditate on God's Word. Focus on what is good, pure, etc. There's a whole list of them, by the way, in Philippians, the things you can think about whenever things are bad. But changing that internal dialogue is a huge deal. Now, this subject is not an easy one for anyone to talk about because it reminds us of situations we have gone through or, to be frank, are currently going through. And so it's not a fun topic at all to, to talk about. But when we look at what Christ did, and I'm not just talking about on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. Let's not forget the time that they literally pushed him to the edge of a cliff and were fixing to throw him off. I don't know of a worse way to kill somebody. Primarily because I have an unusual fear of falling. Not heights. Falling. Those are two different things, by the way. You've never, never thought about that, but they are. But actually being cast off, just shoved off. You're so worthless, I'm just not even going to waste a rock on you. I'm just throwing you off the cliff. And what did Jesus do in that scenario? Walk through the midst of them. It's one of the coolest miracles in the Bible that we never talk about. He just walked right through them. So that's the difference in Jesus and me. Every one of them would have been dead, and I'd have walked right over the top of their bodies. Oh, you want to kill me? Let's go. But see, that's why I'm not Jesus. Because I'm just not that good, obviously. Right? But that's the difference. That's how he, when he dealt with adversity, he let it go. And so, study on those things. Think on those things. Look on those things. Now let's go continue on through chapter 5 to wrap up. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Brother Jim said, get off Facebook. I don't know, other than the fact that Satan loves division, why those in power have such a desire to make us hate each other. I have a pen that was given to me on diversity and inclusion and mandatory training. I had to go through for my corporation. Here's the deal. The underlying premise of that is actually really good. It's actually very biblical. But I have never seen a team succeed by a coach walking in and telling the teammates, you know what? This is how every one of you are different. You're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. What does that do? Exactly what diversity means. It divides you. Let me tell you one thing. You are all sons of God. End of story. Do not let people divide you. Love your neighbor. And when people say things that you were astounded about, pray for them. Because they are under the influence of something they don't even realize what they are under. And we think it's Mark Zuckerberg, or we think it's Facebook, or we think it's this. Let me wrap it all up and sum it up for you real quick. Satan is the key of deception. And he has demons, and he has principalities, and he has authorities. And he will use them to rip you apart. But God is the God of unity. Let me tell you right now, the opposite political party of you is not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. And if that person across from you differs from you, they are not your enemy because their soul is valuable. And they are under the influence of something more powerful than they realize. And the only way to beat it, according to God, is found right here where it says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. 
There's going to be times in this earth that it's just tough. And the one thing you should be looking forward to at all times, heaven isn't going to have all of these problems. No one there is going to be trying to divide us. No one there is going to be putting us in any little, any little bitty camps. Because there we're all heirs of God. And I go back to that lesson we talked about with Zacchaeus. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to me. Well, he did. Don't let the spirit of division that's afflicting this country get into your heart and divide us in here. Thank you so much for your attention tonight. I hope you all have a wonderful week. As always, the elders are here if you have anything you need to talk about with them. I'm up here if you have any questions. Let's end with a really quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for all the blessings you have bestowed upon us, Lord. We are so thankful that Jesus taught us with his life, with his example, and with his words, Heavenly Father. Let us learn to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, Heavenly Father, to always treat others the way that we would want them to treat us, Lord. It's in your great and holy Son's name that we pray. Amen.